Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. In this episode, we'll be talking about equality, diversity and inclusion within the trading standards profession. The recent CTSI diversity survey was conducted to gather data on the demographics of trading standards and to gain an understanding of people's experiences of working in the profession. The results highlight that there is work to be done to make trading standards more inclusive and more representative of wider society. The work of the CTSI Race and Equalities Working Group over the past year has focused on key areas in which trading standards can become a more welcoming, fair and diverse environment, both for those within the profession and for the businesses and communities it engages with. In this podcast, we'll be speaking with Shanaz Saida, CTSI's new Human Resources and EDI Manager, Giles Speed, Team Manager at Westminster Trading Standards and member of the Race and Equalities Working Group, and John Herriman, Chief Executive of CTSI. Among other things, the panel discussed the survey's findings and how they can serve as a catalyst for positive change, how internal and external recruitment methods can be improved to make trading standards more effective, and the importance of action, rather than just words, in making sure trading standards gives everybody a fair deal. Hello, I'm John Herriman. I'm the Chief Executive of the Chartered Trading Standards Institute. My name is Shana Saida. I am the HR and EDI Manager at the Chartered Trading Standards Institute. Well, Speed, uh, Team Manager, City of Westminster. It was fundamentally important for CTSI to acknowledge and recognise that we had some work to do uh, and a lot of work to do. And so when the decision was made to set up the Race and Equalities Working Group, I think it was a point in time, actually, where the Institute was seen to take an issue very seriously. But that's just about setting up a group. Uh, and I think the, the key thing is that the, the group has uh, the opportunity to take action, make recommendations uh, and, to, and to look to the future. Uh, and I think one of the really important things that the Race and Equalities work, Working Group has done has been able to help us to gather the evidence, which has probably been previous to that, quite anecdotal. Um, but it's generated some really powerful evidence through the surveys that have been done both nationally and also within London. Uh, that's actually shown us, I think, the stark reality uh, of where we are as an institute uh, with regard to race equalities uh, and diversity and inclusion. And whilst those are you know, some hard sort of um, stats to, to look at, um, I think the honesty is really important uh, because what that's giving us is, is a baseline to be able to uh, to do some work for the future. So I think at this particular point, and it's um, obviously now every year, I think since the Race and Equalities Working Group was set up, um, it's allowed us to go, no, we are taking this seriously. Uh, we are actually uh, wanting to make a difference. Uh, and we're wanting to make sure that the right people are involved in helping us to make a difference uh, as we look forward. Giles, I know that you're on the, the Race and Equality Working Group and you, I think you were involved in setting up the, the London branch as well. Could you talk a bit about why you became involved, what your goals are in terms of what you what you hope to achieve, or what the, the group hopes to achieve? Yes, I was instrumental in helping set up the London one because London has the most uh, diverse members 
in, in the country. And John's right. It, it, before, it was just anecdotal evidence that we had. Uh, we've now got anecdotal evidence backed up by hardcore facts uh, with some of the changes that's needed for the profession. Uh, what, what made me get involved was uh, my passion for our profession uh, and the need for change. And I could see the need for change over many, many years, but it wasn't happening. So it needed uh, an, in, an injection. And, and this is where some of us have had to step up and say, you know, look, you need to change and we're going to try and help you change. And what do you think the response initially was to the working group being set up? Did you have conversations with any colleagues who perhaps were unsure of what it hoped to achieve? Was there a sense they haven't realised that there's necessarily a, a problem in, in the first place? There were some colleagues who had that view. There were some, there were some colleagues still of that view that there's no need for the actual working group. We have some colleagues who wish to keep their heads under the power pit because they feel that if they step up that they could be um, not repercussions uh, necessarily, but their careers could be stunted. So there's, a, there's also a fair factor as well, because you have a 140-year-old institution, which is slow to move, very slow uh, uh, for change. But I feel now that there is a real impetus to, to, to make that change. And so we're hoping to bring along colleagues and allies as well uh, who wish to make that particular change. Shanaz, I know that you're relatively new in your role. Do you have any initial impressions about how representative the profession is? I think um, having the opportunity to review the statistics that come in from the survey were, you know, took me back quite a lot to see that such a small percentage of, say, Black, Black British or Asian, Asian British were being um, represented in the profession. And then looking at the wider audience and the member base that we serve. But one of the things looking internally, I think that I've been able to identify is how much more inclusive behaviour is needed. I think, like my colleagues have said, everybody knows it, everybody understands it, but it's about when is that change going to happen and what kind of practices can we put in place to try and encourage that change to happen? Some people are in fear of talking, but it's about having these kind of open and honest relationships and being able to discuss these things in an open forum without having the fear of repercussions. So like I say, it's understanding that and then being able to put in practices as part of our everyday work to try and make us a more inclusive workplace. John, Shanaz has mentioned there the survey. I wonder if perhaps we could take a step back and you could tell us a bit about why the survey was carried out in the first place. And is there anything in it which, which particularly leapt out at you as an area of real concern? The survey itself was uh, incredibly important and it has already been mentioned, obviously there was a survey that was done in London branch um, and then we did a, a national survey to, um, to all of our membership and the reason for doing it was because we needed to have some hard facts, we needed some evidence, we needed a baseline to be able to work from because we just didn't have that, we just had the anecdotal evidence. So that was the reason for, for doing it because we need to have a benchmark and then we can then do further surveys in the future to track whether we're making improvements. So that's the purpose of it. Um, there's, there's one particular statistic or um, a couple of charts within the survey that really leapt out at me. There's one figure which is, I think it's just over 52% 
uh, of members said they'd experienced uh, or witnessed um, sort of racist or homophobic language or behaviour sort of in their workplace. That is a shocking statistic in its own right. Uh, there's then another uh, graph just next to it or a pie chart just next to it, which then says that 40% of those uh, that said that had seen that from their line managers. And that, for me, just really painted a picture uh, because that is an entirely unacceptable uh, set of statistics. And we need to make sure that we're highlighting that, uh, as we have done both through symposium, but more widely, and then also identifying what it is that we then need to do about it ourselves as an institute through to our membership, uh, recognising that our members work in organisations that actually we have no direct control or influence over. Uh, so actually what we've got to do is raise this awareness amongst our membership of what the data is telling us and what members are saying, um, so that we can then start to influence that wider environment. I have the same concerns that Dom's raised. Uh, with regard to the bullying aspects and the raising homophobic and uh, anything else that follows from that. One of the shocking stats is in relation to bullying coming from the line manager, which goes back to what I said earlier about people wanting to keep their heads down. If it's coming from the very line manager, you can see why they wouldn't necessarily want to put themselves forward. We're looking to mine the data and get behind some of the headlines. It is, it is shocking, some of the headlines, but that's a, it's a good thing that we've got there because now we can look at it and now we can tackle it. We now know what we're looking at. It's no longer anecdotal, really. We now know what we've already known, but we have the data and that's going to help us. As I know that, as John says, CTSI is separate from the local authorities where some of these behaviours are taking place. So there's little direct influence that you can have. But when it comes to addressing things like bullying in the workplace, harassment, racist abuse, what should HR people be doing to put a stop to these kind of behaviours? I think it needs to be a collective approach. Um, but one of the things that I want to discuss is support mechanisms, training and building of awareness. I think sometimes you'll see in various industries and organisations, managers have been managers for years and there's perhaps they haven't had any kind of formal, informal training around what is, is an acceptable behaviour that shouldn't need to lead to that situation. But at times, I think one of the things that I want to try and implement within CTSI is more formal training, more, again, I go back to this open forum where we can have these conversations, where we can express our views without the fear of saying the wrong thing or not being able to speak up. Um, and um, say what we want to say. But managers in particular need to understand their role in leading the change and embedding the principles of inclusion, of diversity. And they need to, they need to be the ambassadors to create that. Now, again, what's happening outside of CTSI, I think we can't, I can't really um, have a direct influence on. But I think internally, one of the objectives that I want to do is try and promote that kind of behavior amongst managers and their teams. And I think in the survey, it mentioned how 55.85%, I think, reported that they have had never received unconscious bias training, for example. Now, these training forums can be highly effective, allowing managers to identify areas where they may have their own unconscious bias and help them to approach things differently. So these are some of the things that I want to be working on internally with CTSI.
Giles, since Shanaz mentions unconscious bias, I know it's something that you've written about in the Journal of Trading Standards. I wonder if, if, if you could just give a, an overview of, of how it affects people's behaviour in the workplace and elsewhere. It's important that we are aware of it. And if we are aware of it, then we can either not act on it or we can stop ourselves and have a thought process. It's something that's been recognised by the psychologists for many years. If we benchmark ourselves against the private industry, a number of them are doing unconscious bias training on a huge scale. Uh, and the reason why they do that is because they've recognised that it has stopped them from either recruiting talent or stop them from developing existing talent in their organisation. And it's lost and it's meant losing staff and losing retention. And, and because of that, they then had to spend costs recruiting again. A lot of that could be avoided if they are aware of some of the unconscious bias that happens uh, with themselves and in their daily practices. In, in terms of a trading standard skill sets of being able to talk to people in different situations, some of them potentially quite fraught, angry situations, how does having a more diverse, inclusive approach to the job help in those kind of scenarios? Well, it's about understanding different cultures. It's about understanding different genders, different the different people, the different walks of life you're likely to come across. Having a better understanding of them, then it doesn't necessarily put you in a situation which can be escalated. Uh, a lot of it is because of misunderstanding. I've worked with uh, some people who have found themselves in certain situations because they haven't necessarily understood cultural differences. And once they were able to understand more well, it doesn't necessarily mean that, or it doesn't mean they were being aggressive, for example, or the response that they gave. You may have seen that, but in actual fact, it's not. It's just part of the cultural being. And that understanding can make a lot of difference. And it's something that, uh, for example, the police are doing that, and a lot of work is being done uh, with them in regards to unconscious bias. For that reason, uncultural differences, so that they can build up cultural intelligence. As a result of that, it is something which is being, hopefully, will be spread further and engaged by our profession. It's about understanding other people's perspectives uh, and actually in this particular example it's about understanding different communities perspectives you know because we have to recognize that we all have different perspectives on the same issues um, you know cultural religious you know ethnic differences and you know, they're, they're completely natural um, and it's making sure that we can all understand you know each other's perspectives and our sort of uh, our own sort of and, and other cultures. I think that's particularly important in the world of uh, trading standards because of the communities that we serve. Uh, we need to understand the particular issues that they face as consumers and members of the public. And again, I think that's particularly important in the context of this conversation um, because as we know, um, and it's not right, but we do know that 30% uh, of Black, Asian, minority, ethnic uh, communities live in disadvantage, uh, which is double, approximately, the level of disadvantage that, uh, that non-BAME communities live in. So actually, they 
uh, are living in greater levels of disadvantage and therefore there are more vulnerable members of the public living in those communities so therefore they deserve uh, more support to make sure they are protected as consumers so i think it goes right to the heart of what we do as trading standards to make sure that we as a, a profession um, and trading standard services are able to acknowledge that and then also identify the ways that we can reach out to those communities and you can't reach out to those communities unless you actually understand um, their specific issues um, and so for me I think we have to do uh, a lot of work to help raise that awareness of just how important it is for us to reflect those communities we serve as a profession uh, because then that will allow us to better serve those communities that actually need more support than some other communities. Giles, would you say that in, in the past, perhaps, or perhaps even still now, there has been a tendency to over penalise people who, because of their language differences or perhaps because of cultural difference, aren't aware of what their legal obligations are? We do have anecdotal evidence about the small traders, small businesses can't afford uh, necessarily the legal uh, services that a more corporate uh, business can afford, and therefore they are more likely to be punished or severely punished as opposed to the, the corporates who can afford and who have legal uh, representation. So that also needs a complete mind think around uh, how we go about doing our enforcement and making sure that it is equitable. Is it as a result of cultural differences? There's no necessary way of telling that, but we are highly suspicious that when you look at the demographics of some of the cases or people that are taken to court for certain offences, it doesn't uh, sort of lean that way. Presumably that had an effect on people's perceptions of trading standards. Perhaps there are certain communities who would actually benefit from working alongside trading standards to stamp out certain things like, for example, scams around Hajj pilgrimages. Perhaps certain communities, because they have this view of trading standards as the bogeyman in inverted commas, they aren't benefiting from what trading standards can actually actually do for them to help them and, and members of their, their community. With regard to the Hodge, we've been doing a lot of work, some of my colleagues have done a lot of work with regard to some of the uh, scams uh, around that. And there's a lot of unreporting going on there because, as you say, they don't necessarily, sometimes they don't actually know who to, who to go to. So there is a bit of a reach out that we need to do in, in the community to make sure that they know who it is that they can go to and that there is a safe space that they can come to us uh, so we can take up those particular causes. And there's other things going on uh, culturally uh, that we are unaware of uh, that we need to discover, but they will only do that and only come to us if they trust us and if they know that they can come to us. Yeah, and it, it is all about understanding the communities that um, that you serve, um, and it's making sure that we are seen to seen to serve those communities rather than just be seen about enforcement. Uh, enforcement is a is obviously a critical part of what trading standards does, um, but there are a lot of other dimensions to what trading standards does as well you know, around um, you know business education and consumer education. Um, and there's a huge role around both of those things, consumer education and business education, um, that actually is all about protecting consumers alongside the enforcement activity. Um, and I think. I think, uh, Giles, I think, talked about it. Uh, there, is a, there is an opportunity to drive an inadvertent wedge uh, between, let's say, a training standard service and a, and a community um, 
if it was just seen to be all about enforcement activity, uh, when actually business education and consumer education can go hand in hand in helping to raise those standards. Uh, and actually, I've seen examples of where trading standard services that do that. You know, they go out and sort of um, they support businesses and they're trying to encourage businesses, um, and they do some really good work in that sort of space. And it's making sure that is happening, you know, collectively across the country, uh, and that best practice is reflected across all of those sort of different trading standard services. Uh, and there's a really good example uh, of actually very recently. Um, um, where we saw this, um, which is in relation to food allergens. Um, and uh, they were actually one of our Heroes Awards winners the other night, uh, where uh, they had taken advice uh, leaflets um, and a, a video and training and it, all in relation to making sure there was a, a broader awareness of food allergens because we've seen some tragic consequences, including fatalities, uh, where people have had severe allergic reactions. Um, and they've translated it into eight languages alongside English. Um, and what that's doing is getting out into those, uh, all, all of the diverse communities and all of the different sort of restaurants in all of the different communities um, to make sure that that message gets through. And it's, it's doing that alongside the enforcement activity uh, that demonstrates the trading standards is there to support, uh, not just enforce. And where you see that happening, uh, you see some really sort of great responses of uh, essentially trading standards working hand in hand with businesses to support consumers. Shanaz, I, I wanted to talk about recruitment next, both external recruitment of, of new, primarily younger people to the trading standards profession and to CTSI, but also internal recruitment, promotion, how people who perhaps have been within trading standards for a long time and have developed certain skills can you know, move, move up through the ranks to make the senior levels of management more representative. This was amongst one of the other stats that came through from the survey and another very worrying statistic to see that we are an aging profession, only a shocking, I think, 2.6% represented um, under 26-year-olds and um, that's quite worrying for myself. But then also looking internally within CTSI, I think it's absolutely fundamental that we look at ways in which we are able, able to attract new and younger people into the profession. Um, we need it to come across dynamic and exciting. We need to try and raise that awareness when you go to schools or colleges or universities. Perhaps there isn't that much awareness built around trading standards, what we do, and the social purpose that it can have. Because I think that would be something really appealing to a lot of young school, college, university leavers, and that's where we need to go. I think we need to be able to reach out and really help build that awareness, demonstrate the passion, and also look at the various different entry points where people can come in to the profession and like you say work their way up within CTSI I think one of the things that I've already started to work with is local schools colleges I'm wanting to attend some job fairs further educational de development fairs so that we're able to raise more awareness around who CTSI are, what we do and how younger people can enter into the profession, the kind of different routes that they can take within the profession. So I think that's something that we're looking at. And one other thing I wanted to point out is we now have access to so many different platforms, so many different types of media that we want to start utilizing social networking sites, not just your LinkedIn, and your Facebook, but so much more where we can, you know, really spread the word and raise that awareness amongst 
younger audiences going back to also i think diversity and being able to be a more inclusive and diverse workforce it's about recognizing yes you know that we are all diverse and i don't know if you saw our recent post about on linkedin um about how we are not color blind i think again i go back to having this kind of open um conversations being able to ask each other questions about our background ethnicity about our age in, in a professional and positive way so that we can build that awareness you know ourselves within CTSI we do have a diverse workforce and and we're proud of that and i think we want to we want to widen that within the whole profession we would, we don't want to ignore the realities that you know we we need we are serving a membership organization which is extremely diverse but our profession doesn't represent that so we want to be able to reach out again to a very wide audience you know look at different mediums that we can use to raise awareness amongst what we do and how we can recruit but some of the things I'm doing internally already we've had to fill a recent position an interim position for communication and um, press officer we've used various different things to try and capture that whole recruitment process from blind hiring to reaching out to various different platforms which i i'm not i don't think we've done previously and it's worked in our favor we've been able to recruit very quickly very efficiently somebody who's very new in the profession has that experience from outside the profession but is able to come in um with lots of different views so it's about being open minded and having having the attitude to look at the different ways in which we can work moving forward Giles I know that you've been in trading standards since the 80s during that time what what do you think has changed I know that racism existed back then obviously still exists now in 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 various ways do you do you get the sense that things have improved when it comes to internal uh, recruitment processes which have 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 shifted since since those early early days i am pleased to say that uh, it has shifted uh, certainly since when i started in the profession uh, and it has moved along it may not have moved along in our profession as quickly as we would like uh, but it has uh, moved along in terms of recruitment it i think it's it's fair to say that the uh, it, this has been looked at and the mcgregor smith review has looked at recruitment and not having for example bringing people in the necessary positions where they should be or not getting the promotions that they should and she's made it quite clear that there's billions being lost uh in recruitment where people are not uh being promoted to the role that they should be in and not trusted to be promoted in the roles that they are in and that's you know we we suffer from that i think in our in our profession and some of the just looking at the diversity survey some of the things that were were said is concerning and this is why when we while we mind the data as uh, about recruitment we'll is some of the things that we we need to examine i recently gave a presentation to the association of chief trade and standards officer uh, discussing recruitment and talking about inclusive mentoring and because that's really important that you are prepared to not just recruit but also mentor and retain the staff to develop them so that they can reach their full potential to get into senior roles another area of concern is the age 
uh, demographic uh, with regard to the fact that it's it's seen as an older profession or it's seen as an aged profession. More people are over 50 than there are under 50 in a profession which we're hoping to grow. And so you have the diversity aspect and then you've also got the age aspect and we need to tackle both of those. Over 50% of the profession is female, which is fantastic. And in very senior roles and in very senior positions, uh, you know, with AXO, uh, right across the board. So because of that, it shows that we can make the change. It does show that we can turn the dial if as a profession we want to. And I, I feel that the time is right and that uh, the will is there uh, to do that. We want everybody to feel as though uh, they can be part of the profession or they will be supported or helped by the profession. It is about, you know, uh, it is race, but it's also about gender, sexual orientation, age, all of those protected characteristics. We should make sure that we are um, reflecting um, in the way that we uh, talk about ourselves, uh, the way that we go about our recruitment activity, you know, everything that we do as uh, as CTSI. Because I think if if we get that right, it, for me, it comes down to a very simple point around respect and respect for other people. You know, and again, I think that sits right at the heart of what we are as a profession. Um, again, going back to points about sort of fairness and sort of uh, equality, you know, and sort of closely connected to the values of, uh, of the trading standards profession. Um, but respecting others is, a, I think, is another critical part of that. So I think if we can... Uh, through the work that we're doing through equality, diversity and inclusion, uh, make sure that we are respectful in the way that we are uh, doing everything that we do, then that will help us to um, uh, to make sure that we're, we're seen as a profession that others would want to be involved with or in. You know, if you make that sort of link between wanting to attract new entrants to the profession and going, you know, come and join this fantastic world of trading standards driven by a social purpose. Um, and those coming into the profession absolutely see and say that. Um, but if those who we're trying to attract actually look at the senior structures within trading standards and actually can't see themselves represented, um, it might be a profession that they don't want to join. And I would fully understand that if that was the case. So we actually have to, act, we fundamentally have to make sure that those structures and the, the, the senior structures across the whole of, uh, of CTSI um, reflect uh, the way that we want to operate in the future, um, because uh, that will mean to say that we are seen to be reflective as an institute um, of the communities that we serve, which will then help us with everything from recruitment and retention and everything else that we do within the profession. There is a tendency with these kind of issues for that piece of just all, all talk and no concrete action. So when it comes to actual processes, changes, what can we say about what's being done? I really do have from John and the board a very clear vision of, I think, where we need to be. We're in a positive place where we've got that acknowledgement. Um, we know where our weaknesses are and where we need to look at. In terms of internally, really proud to say that we have signed up to the BITC Race at Work Charter and my aim will be on upholding the key aims of tackling ethnic disparities in the workplace, allowing for us to have, you know, again, open conversations and demonstrate our commitment to wanting this change um, via engagement, building awareness, training, support, and the whole recruitment, retention, and talent pipeline um, processes that we will have in place. We're all aware that there's still... We're at very early stages of our EDI journey um, and we are fully committed at realising what our vision should be throughout 
the long-term stages that we want to um, go through. The results from the survey have been quite eye-opening, I think, and in the months ahead, um, I want to be continuing to refine the metrics, working with the team to understand deeper and intentionally embedding the vision within every aspect of what we do. You would like to say what there's a tendency once these sort of surveys are done that what happens next and sometimes there's um, to be expected pushback there's sometimes going to be resistance resistance to change uh, uh, throughout the profession or people think well hold on a minute haven't we done enough you know we've made some changes that's that's enough now and which is why I was keen for many months before John came on board and signed it uh, for us to sign the race at work charter because then that doesn't allow us uh, to stand still because standing still is going backwards and so because of that it gives us a chance to put forward an action plan and the survey uh, once we get all the mine details from it it gives us an opportunity to base an action plan around that uh, so that we will be continually continually going forward uh, which will help with Shanaz's matrix um, in addition to that you do want the fellowship the uh, board, the council, to reflect the very people that it's serving, to reflect a panel like we have here. This is what we want those particular boards because it will bring about different experiences which will bring about different initiatives. Uh, just on this, your specific question on the actual service things that we can do pretty much immediately, uh, there are some uh, concerns by, if you look at the ethnic identity, there's a huge disparity between who's currently in the profession and the uh, black and asian uh multiple ethnic group which is pretty small and a majority of it is london so once you go outside of the m25 you then come to pretty much a blank page and those are the sort of changes where we're saying well hold on are you doing enough and we can help you with that the, the idea behind it is that the group says hold on we can help you uh get the recruitment process under different eyes a different eye set so that people want this should be a profession that people want to join uh this is so important that this isn't seen uh, as to be something as simple as you know window dressing you know and i use that term deliberately uh because it, it can't be and it won't be uh, because that doesn't make a difference um it's not something that just happens you know at one point in time this has got to be a continuum um and so you get sort of built into to everything that we that we do so so i think there's a there is a level of optimism yes and i think what we've seen at the moment is a is a commitment to take this seriously and i think we've seen that through the race and working group um, and then also the uh, business in the community race at work charter uh, and then also the survey uh, and the data that's coming through from that um, uh, and obviously um, Shanaz has just joined us as well as our actually first human resources and equality diversity and inclusion manager which is uh, which is uh, a fantastic to have Shanaz on board um, and her perspective um, and I think where we want to get to is going to be making sure that equality, diversity and inclusion is shaping all of our decisions. Uh, so it's actually something that's absolutely always thought about in relation to everything that we do. Um, and you know that's looking at it from a, an external perspective in terms of the way that we're doing consumer education and audiences that we're engaging with and communities we're engaging with. Um, and then also business education uh, and how we're engaging with businesses, making sure we're translating you know, business advice into the right languages, um, all of those different areas. Um, and then looking internally, um, Shanaz has already talked about recruitment processes, about the languages that we use um, in our 
uh, job adverts, uh, making sure that that's uh, that the, the, the right language. Uh, also about the imagery that we use in terms of the way that we're talking about ourselves and in the media, in the press, and social media, um, and. Uh, and then also how we're seen, which is why this podcast is so important, about how we're seen to be talking about equality, diversity and inclusion uh, and the journey that we're on. And uh, it's something that we need to continually talk about and reflect on um, and challenge ourselves on, uh, you know, through these conversations you know, and publicly. Because, it, you know, for me, equality, diversity and inclusion is all about transparency uh, and honesty and openness. Um, and that goes, again, right to the heart of what we are as trading standards, because that is all about fairness and, and, and equity and equality. Uh, they can sort of go right to the, the of it so there's a so i think there's a uh i think there's a, a right degree of optimism um but we should always make sure uh, that we keep challenging ourselves uh, as we sort of go on this journey um and that's why uh, we're actually now just starting a process and i was talking to council this week actually about developing a new vision for, for ctsi to look ahead to the next 10 years you know it's 140th anniversary this year you know we're looking ahead to our 150th you know we should be looking that far ahead as to where we want to be um, and as part of developing that vision we'll be having all of those conversations about making sure that inclusivity and diversity uh, are absolutely integral to the developing of that vision uh, and every activity that we're doing.